this morning we are returning, as Jamie said, to a teaching series that we began a couple of weeks ago. We had a little bit of a pause last week and did something different. Um, It's this teaching series which we've called The Love of God, Messages of Hope for Weary Souls. Um, And earlier this year when we were sort of planning, we tend to plan a little bit ahead of what we're going to sort of teach on on a Sunday. Um, And when we were thinking about this season of Lent that we're in in the run-up to Easter and what we wanted to teach on, Jamie came home one day, having done all the thinking for me and having planned the series from start to finish, which is always great anyway. Um, But honestly, when he said to me, I've been thinking about what we should talk about, and I think I've got the name for the series, and it's this, The Love of God, Messages of Hope for Weary Souls. Honestly, I breathed a sigh of relief. That was my response. I was like... Oh, (laughs) thank goodness for that. Because I think it made me realize and recognize in myself my own weariness in my own soul that I've been carrying and a longing, I suppose, to not overcomplicate things, to not delve into things that feel complex and tricky, um, but to come back again to this most simple truth that lies at the heart of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus, that the God of the universe is a God of the deepest, most unconditional, reckless, relentless love. And remarkably, it is us, we, who are the objects of his affection. That is just at the center of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. But not only that, we passionately believe this too as a church community, that it is when we encounter his love and we begin to allow it to take root in our lives that it transforms who we are it changes who we are it heals who we are in such a way that bit by bit we begin to love people like God loves people too relentlessly sacrificially unconditionally deeply and um Whilst this is kind of like for some of you who've maybe been around church for a while, my hope would be that for you, this is the bread and butter of what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus. It's not always the case. And I was conscious, actually, even as we were worshipping, for some of you, you may have grown up in church your whole life, but that doesn't feel like bread and butter to you. And I'll come on to that a bit later. Um, But my hope would be while that is the bread and butter of what we believe, I, I really experience this in my own life. It feels like a lifetime's work to me to allow that truth to sink deeply into who I am as a person and to transform me. Um, That is my experience, as I say. It's like there are layers of discovering this in our life. And each time I sort of think God's done with me, I discover there's like another corner of my heart that hasn't quite got it yet, (laughs) that hasn't quite grasped that God loves me like that and I need to hear it again. Um, And I loved how Jamie put this at the start of the series a couple of weeks ago, that learning to grasp the love of God in our lives isn't something we ever graduate from in the Christian life. It's not like the ABCs and then we move on to the other stuff. It's like the beginning and the end of it all. It really is like the main and the plain. It's the beginning and the end. It's a lifetime's work. So whether you are like me this morning and you find yourself at a time in life where there is a weariness in you, there's a weariness in your soul, or whether you are riding that sweet wave of serotonin from the last week of sunshine, hands up if you're with me, Um, you know, I, I do passionately believe that what is in God's heart for you this morning, because it is always in God's heart for you every morning is that you would know the love of God at work in a deeper way in your life as a result of this morning hopefully but also as a result of the series 
Um, I want to say a word to those of you who, when we talk about some of these topics about like understanding the love of God for ourselves, your immediate reaction is like, isn't this all just a bit introspective and navel-gazy? And I want to say, if that's you, I love people like you because I love that your heart is like outwards and you're wanting to think about people beyond yourself. Um, and particularly in a moment in history like this one where there is so much going on in the world around us, you would be well forgiven for asking the question, you know, wouldn't we be better to be spending our time together on a Sunday here talking about how we can respond to all these things going on in the world around us at the moment? Um, I want to affirm you and say, I think that is a great question. But again, I would just say without hesitation, I believe passionately that the only real solution to many of the complex, difficult horrendous problems our world is facing right now is the transforming love of God and it, it that is the gift that we uniquely have to offer in this city in our in our world is the transforming love of God for people that is the healing balm for a, a weary world and and our hope is that as we sort of soak in that over the coming weeks for ourselves that what emerges is that actually we are sort of more filled up in a way that what overflows from us naturally is a readiness to share with anyone we come into contact with who is world-weary, the love of God for them. Um, so that's kind of the hope for the series. And I was thinking it's a little bit like, um, I'm sure we've given this analogy before on a Sunday. I did actually think this morning, I hope Jamie didn't just say that last week and I switched off when he said it. So forgive me if Jamie's already done this one. But it's a bit like that moment when you're on an aeroplane um, and they do the safety demonstration, and they get to the bit about the oxygen masks. By the way, just quick aside, personality test, let's do this for a moment. Which of you in that moment puts down what you're doing, you put your book down, or you take your headphones off, and you listen in? Hands up. There are a few nerds in the room, and I am amongst you. Friends, I'm with you, always worth a listen. Hands up if you think, I've heard it all before, headphones on, shame on you. Well, if, if you're in that category, you, you, you may or may not know this because it may have gone over your head. You may have had your headphones on. But they say to you, if the oxygen fails in the cabin, a mask will come down for you in the cabin. Please make sure you put your own mask on before you help somebody else. And, and that's a little bit like what we're wanting to do on a Sunday at the moment. We're wanting to breathe in deeply the love of God for ourselves again so that we are useful to those around us and able to apply masks to them too. You get what I'm saying? Do we get where we're going with this series? Good. Okay. Um, so the, the, the idea is that each week in this series, we're going to take a scene from the story of the Bible. And the Bible, which we described again a couple of weeks ago, really being the great love story of God. In simple terms, it's a great love story from start to finish. So we're going to take a scene or a snapshot from this great sto love story each week and see how through it, God reveals his love to people again and again and again, and also different aspects of his love to people again and again and again. So for those who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, let me just do a really brief re recap. Week one, Jamie took a snapshot from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, um, of the rainbow. This story of Noah and his ark, popular with Sunday school teachers up and down the country. Um, and he unpacked how sort of far more interesting than this idea of the animals going two by two, hurrah. Um, far more interesting than that is this truth revealed at the heart of that story that despite our human tendency to mess things up again and again, despite the unraveling, the brokenness that we see in the world around us, 
God has promised that his mercy will always triumph over his judgment and that he will put things right. And not only that, but he wants to take us to join him, to take our places at his side and be part of that story of hope and restoration. And today, as we move towards the next snapshot, I want us to continue in this book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible that speaks of something of where we've come from. Um, and, and just sort of continue the story a bit further. So as the rest of the book of Genesis progresses, things continue to unfold along these same lines as Jamie's described. And we see God doing exactly what he's promised in that moment. He calls a people to himself to join him at his side and be part of that story of hope and restoration in the world. And he begins with a man named Abraham, who he promises to bless and through him and his family line to extend his blessing to the rest of the whole world. It really is this story of hope that's being lined out and fleshed out. And yet at the same time, you have this other track going along in Genesis at the same time, which continues past the rainbow, past the calling of Abraham. And what becomes obvious on this other track is this continued human tendency to mess things up and cause untold pain and suffering. It just, that tendency hasn't gone anywhere. Um, so you'll read these stories in Genesis where you get these familial, um, like generational patterns of things like lying, f- horrible favoritism in the family, brothers at war with each other, often a thing you see, dysfunctional marriages. And you see these same thing, themes sort of cropping up from generation again and again and again. That's why those of you who maybe have read the book of Genesis before and familiar with it, you might find yourself sometimes reading a story and then a few chapters later reading a story and thinking, I've just read this story. Um, you haven't, but it is basically the same story that you've read a few chapters before because it's these patterns just handed down again and again and again of sin and brokenness. Anyway, it is somewhere in the middle of all of this that we meet Jacob, who is the man at the center of our scene today, um, a scene which we have called the wrestle. So this is the scene that we're going to home in on today. Um, But before we do, um, I want to give you a little potted biography of Jacob, because otherwise this bit of scripture that we're going to read together will not make sense at all. Um, So here's the things you need to know about Jacob. Jacob is the son of a man called Isaac, and Isaac is Abraham's grandson, the man I just mentioned. So he is born into the third generation of this family through whom God has promised to extend his blessing to the whole world. Jacob is also a twin. Shout out to the twins in the room. Um, And we are told that at birth, as he arrives into the world, his brother Esau comes out first and Jacob follows, hot on his heels. In fact, he's literally holding on to the heel of his brother as he is delivered. Now, let me just say, as a woman who is imminently about preparing for childbirth, that sounds absolutely horrendous. So let's just spare a moment for the poor mother that that bore Jacob and Esau. Um, Horrendous. Um, But as a result of the way he's sort of born into the world, grasping his brother's heel, he's given this name, Jacob, which literally means he grasps. Or in a sort of more figurative sense, it means he deceives. So he grasps or he deceives. And I don't really understand how these things work, but whether that is like a name, it's like a sort of curse that he lives under, or whether somehow it's almost like a sort of prophetic foreshadowing of who Jacob will become, the story of his youth that follows is that he, he is a grasper. 
He's a deceiver. And he is desperate to win from his father, Isaac, the blessing and the birthright that in that culture would have belonged only to the firstborn son, to Esau. Um, and, but Jacob spends his youth grasping for it, and not just grasping for it, lying and deceiving others in order to take hold of it for himself. And eventually there's this tragic scene. And honestly, when you read it in the Bible, it is like reading something out of a soap opera. Um, and Jacob cheats Esau out of the blessing and birthright of the firstborn that should have been rightly his. And he fools his dad into giving him instead the firstborn's blessing. And there's this heart-wrenching scene where Esau finds out what's happened. He falls at his dad's feet and he starts weeping and crying out. It literally says this, bless me too, father, me too, my father. And you can just imagine the sort of EastEnders, dun, 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 like coming in at the end of that moment. Um, And Esau is completely devastated. And pretty quickly, his sorrow turns to anger, and he is out to get Jacob. So Jacob goes on the run, fearing for his life. He runs away. Um, How many of you as kids used to pull the old running away trick? When something had happened, yeah, that was one of my signature moves. When I did something naughty, fell out with my mum and dad, I would like make a, a huge show of packing my bag. I'd like pack my bag with my toy duck, you know, maybe like my favourite pebble of the moment, a few Kinder eggs, stuff them all in, run round the corner, hide for like five minutes, think that ought to teach them. Um, and then I'd, I'd come back and all, all would be well again. Um, Jacob runs away, but it's not a five-minute job. He runs away for years. It's a year, like he runs away for years and years. In that time, he gets married twice. He has a bunch of kids. This is a significant rupture in their family. But here's the thing, and I promise you we're going to get to reading the text in a minute, but you need all of this context before we get to it. Here's the thing that you need to notice in the story that comes before the bit we're reading today. Throughout these years on the run... No matter what Jacob has done or where he's come from or what he's doing in the present, something weird and remarkable happens. God continues, he keeps speaking his blessing and his promises over Jacob again and again and again. He just finds these moments of saying, I want to bless you and through you and your family line, I'm going to bless the whole world. Despite like the dysfunctional, weird way in which Jacob has gone about grasping for that blessing. Anyway, one day it is time and God calls Jacob to return to his family home. He says, it's time. You need to return home. And Jacob freaks out in this moment. And what you read is that as he starts making his way home, he starts bargaining, making deals with God. We all do that in desperate moments. God, if you make this okay, then I promise I'll just give you everything forever. Um, he, he sort of fears that might not work. So he starts sending gifts ahead of him to Esau to sort of butter Esau up before he sees him. Um, and then he even decides to split the group that they're sort of traveling in into two so that if Esau attacks one side of the group, at least they won't all die. Um, so he, this is a man like desperate with his sort of strategies. Um, and it's at that moment he's got all these fears and all this anxiety racing around his head. He sets up camp for the night before he sets off on his, and he's on his own. And it's here, my friends, at whatever we are, 10, 15 minutes into the talk, um, that we finally get to our scene for today, the wrestle. Um, I promise I've got less to say on the other side. Um, So let's read it together now. This is from Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. I think James is a legend and it should appear on the screen. If you want to follow on in your Bibles on the seats, feel free to do that too. 
Here's what it said. So remember, he set up camp for the night. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. We'll stop there. Now, it's quite an unusual story, (laughs) isn't it? It's one of the most enigmatic ones in the Bible. And you would be forgiven for thinking, you know, what on earth is going on in here? And what, Kath, does this have to do with the love of God? Um, Why pick this scene of all the moments in Scripture? Why pick this scene to talk about the love of God? Um, Well, we wanted to pick this particular snapshot because within this scene, we really believe this. We see this profound picture of the love of God confronting Jacob in his brokenness, the love of God coming to meet Jacob in his brokenness and pain. So let me just say a bit more. It it kind of acts in quite a pictorial way. So for those of you who are new to reading the Bible as well, this man that Jacob is meeting and wrestling with is supposed to represent God himself, okay? And it's kind of a pictorial thing that's going on here. And, And here's what I think the picture is about. The wrestle is a picture of God stirring the pot in Jacob, of like pushing Jacob's buttons and goading him into bringing into his presence the deepest wrestles of his own heart. Now, remember at this point in the story, Jacob's been on the run for years. He's running from a painful and incredibly shameful past, all these experiences of his youth. And it is as though in this wrestle, God is inviting Jacob once and for all to get all that toxic, pent-up stuff that he has been carrying for years up and out of his system. That's what God's inviting him into in this wrestle. Um, But it is a wrestle because if you are anything like me and you've been through moments like this in your own life, you will know that sometimes we guard and hold most closely to our chests the areas of our hearts and lives that are the most painful. Those are the bits that we don't want anyone coming near. So Jacob wrestles and struggles and he refuses to let it go. And that is until God in his great kindness touches Jacob's hip. And I think this is a picture of God finally just putting his finger on where it really hurts for Jacob. Um, How many of you in the room know what TCP is? Is TCP still a thing? Do you know what TCP is? It's like this antiseptic ointment. Um, When I was little, I would cut myself. um, My mum was obsessed with TCP. She thought it was like just did everything. She used to make us like gargle with it and stuff like that. Um, Disgusting. But if I would cut myself as a kid, my mum, I just knew within seconds, get 
get the TCP. She'd like, and come at me with the TCP. And I would run a mile, pattern in my life. I would run a mile, um, de- you know, terrified that she was going to come at me with this TCP because I knew that when she applied the TCP to that cut, it was going to sting like nothing else. Eventually, she'd chase me down, she'd pin me down, apply the TCP, and my reflex would be to just shriek in that moment as the TCP hit the wound. I think that is something of what is going on here in this story for Jacob. God is touching where it really hurts for him. And what comes out of the very guts of Jacob in that moment as this reflex is his deepest heart cry. I won't let you go until you bless me. That's what comes out. When God touches the bit that hurts Jacob the most, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then there's this weird exchange, and you think, why on earth does God ask him that? God responds, and he says, what's your name? And Jacob, you, could, you can read this in lots of different ways. Oh, it's Jacob. I think Jacob spits it out. It's like, it's Jacob. It's grasper. It's deceiver. That's what he sort of spits out to God in that moment. And God in so many words, says this to him, no. That might be the name that your parents gave you, but that is not how it works with me. You do not need to grasp for my blessing. You do not need to lie for my blessing. You do not need to be, pretend to be somebody that you're not to receive my blessing. My blessing, my approval, my love, it is not earned. It is not deserved. It is given freely as a gift and All this time, this is the thing I tried to draw attention to, all this time whilst you've been on the run, I've been trying to get you to receive it. But the way to receive it is to give up the fight. It is to stop striving. It is to stop believing it's something that you can win or something that you have to work hard to earn. And then he gives him this new name, Israel. And he says, I want to give you this new name, Israel, which means he struggles with God. Because, Jacob, I want from now on this moment of the wrestle to define you. This moment where you chose to give up the fight and truly surrender to my love for the first time. And then the encounter closes with God speaking his blessing again, freely over Jacob. Except this time, finally, he's able to receive it. Now, let me just unpack a little bit about what I think this means for us. It's, you know, it's a heck of a story. It's a weird story. Um, but it's an important one because I think it's our story too. It's a story that many of us live by too. And within it, as I said, God reveals something profound about the way he loves us that I believe he wants us to take hold of. And that's this, that when it comes to the love of God, you do not have to earn it. You do not have to strive for it. You've got nothing to prove in order to receive it. And in fact, it's not just that you don't have to earn it. It's that you actually can't. You can't earn it. It doesn't work that way. And actually, when you try to earn it, when you strive for it, it actually only distances you further from it because that's not the sort of love that's on the table for you. The love that is on the table for you is a freely given gift. So the only way to receive it is to give up once and for all the idea that you can earn it that you need to strive for it, to let it go and instead receive it as it was intended to come to you as a gift. Let me just share a little bit about how sometimes this plays out in my life. I'm just aware, I was thinking this in worship, I was thinking, oh, I wish I'd said this in my, I wish I'd thought about saying this in my talk. So I might go off piste, you never know. Um, I'm, I'm aware this won't be sort of the, 
the same story for everybody. But um, the other day, last week sometime actually, Jamie and I were sitting at our kitchen table and I was sharing with Jamie some of the sort of weariness in my soul that I was mentioning at the beginning. And Jamie suggested to me that um, before the baby comes, um, I should try and get away for a few days on a retreat um, with the aim of just spending time on my own with Jesus and sort of experiencing his love again. Um, But as he was talking, I could feel my own wrestle, like going on within. Um, It was like someone was like, you know, just get that feeling sometimes when someone says something and it's like it just pushes a button in you. Um, I started feeling really angry, <laughs> really hurt. So I snapped back at Jamie, saying, why don't you go on a retreat? Snap back at Jamie, that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah, that's you know, what, what came out of me. How dare you suggest that I get away for a few days on my own, somewhere restful and peaceful? Who do you think you are? Um, I didn't say that, but I did genuinely say, that's the last thing I want to do. It's sort of, always just ugly thing came out of me. Um, now, a sane person in that moment would probably walk away. Jamie is not a sane person and he he, he, in these moments he's very undeterred and he sort of pushes a little bit more um to to get a bit more um so he started probing with me about like why the thought of going away for a few days somewhere nice and peaceful with Jesus would anger me Quite, quite a strange reaction um but as he sort of pushed the button what came out was this that's the last thing I want to do Because I do not have it in me to make a load of effort to strain and to work to hear God speaking to me or to experience God's love. I don't have it in me to like work through all the questions that I've got for God and and, and and the answers I need. I'm really tired. I just don't have it in the tank for that. And at that point, I think Jamie started to respond saying something wise about that's not really what a retreat is about um but I sort of switched off at that point and just was sort of left alone with my own thoughts just stewing there for a bit um I'll come back to that in a minute but there's this quote from the Catholic writer Henri Nuon which you'll often hear us saying here on a Sunday that love stirs up anything unlike itself for the purpose of healing if there's one quote that sort of sums up my journey with Jesus it's that one Jesus himself spoke about um how he would pull up by the roots every plant that hadn't been planted by his father. He'd pull up by the roots every plant that hadn't been planted by his father. Every false word, every lie, every hurt that gets lodged and takes root in us, he wants to pull it out. So for me, a few days after that conversation with Jamie, I found myself reflecting on it and particularly on my sort of angry response. Um, And as I reflected on it, I realized, oh, it's another wrestle. It's like another one of those wrestle moments for me I've had lots of them in my life where God is pushing my buttons he's stirring something up in order to expose something that is blocking me from receiving and living in the fullness of his love more um so for me let me explain a little bit about what I think was going on in this instance I think I've been living believing a lie pretty similar to the one that Jacob believed that any experience of God's love for me is dependent upon me making an effort with him. That it all depends on me seeking God out. Um, And as I reflect on this, I just had this old familiar wound come to the surface. Um, One I know very well that um, is to do with my dad. Um, A number of you will have heard me talk about my dad before. The poor man. Um, My dad was a wonderful man. uh, man, um, And 
I just honour him, honestly. I honour his memory. And I just want to say, because I think this is important, I only share stories about my dad messing things up at different moments. Um, because my dad loved Jesus. And he also, cared, ironically, cared really passionately that people would come to experience the healing that Jesus could bring um, to their lives. So I think overall, he'd be happy to be used in service um, for some of this stuff. Um, But let me just say, my dad was a wonderful man, but he was a very, very inconsistent man. Um, And at times he would be soft and kind and warm with me, but at other times he would be really depressed, very, very withdrawn, um, sulky, passive-aggressive, sometimes aggressive-aggressive. And and I have pictures in my head, I can see them as clear as day today, that I can replay. It's one of my sort of standout memories with my dad. I'd come home from school, my dad would work from home, I'd come home from school, I'd run into my dad's office where he'd be working, and every day I wouldn't be sure which version of my dad I'd be met with. Like, would he turn around to sort of greet me and say hello, or would he just keep his back to me and sort of carry on with what he was doing? But every time I was craving an experience of his love every time that I came home from school. But what I learned pretty quickly as a kid was that even if my dad was in a bit of a depressed mood initially, I had the skills to make him laugh. So I knew how to draw my dad out of himself to make him laugh. And in the end, I knew how to draw out of him an experience of his love. Maybe even a hug, if I was lucky. Like I knew that I could get that out of him. But it all depended on me. And it all depended on how much effort I was willing to put in. All of this to say, therapy session for Kath. Um, Last week, as I was reflecting on that conversation with Jamie, the way it pushed my buttons, I realized, you know, this is another one of those moments where God, in his kindness, is coming at me with the TCP again. He's coming at me with the TCP again. And as I let him near that wound from my dad again, I felt him whisper to me again, this is not the way things work with me. You do not have to draw or suck love out of me somehow. You don't have to behave a certain way to get me to love you or to experience your love. That is not the way things work with me. The way things work is the way that it works with with Jacob. Blessing, love, approval, freely given, always freely given from the start. And actually an invitation to a retreat is that. (laughs) It's an invitation to rest, to give up the fight, and to allow myself to come empty-handed, to come weary in soul, and to allow God to come and find me, God to come and chase after me. Now, I I was really struck by that when we were singing that song, Reckless Love, earlier. Um, And I, I felt, in some ways, I'd written this talk, and I was like, oh, I feel like we should just talk about that, because that feels like actually what God wants to say today. But I felt that for many of us. That the key for us is not this idea that we have to work to find God, to seek God out. Like, that's what he's asking for us. It's completely the other way around. The God that we worship is the God who comes running after us. He's the God who comes looking for us. He makes the first move again and again and again. Um, Amelie's got this toddler's Bible at the moment, um, which proud parents as pastors of a church, she loves. Um, she's memorizing the disciples at the moment, which is a great party trick. We'll get to show it to you later. Although Tony has snuck in somehow. So that's always interesting. That's her grandpa, um, who wasn't a Christian. So that's quite interesting. Um, anyway, but um, 
she's got this toddler's Bible and it does, it tells this story of the lost sheep that some of you will be familiar with, the story that Jesus told about the sheep wandering off out of a flock of a hundred um, and and the shepherd leaves the entire flock that are still with him to go and find this one sheep that's wandered off. But then at the end of it, it's like, I do not know who has interpreted the meaning of this story, but that is dreadful. So I make up a new story. <laughs> I make up a new meaning every time we get to that bit in the text because it basically says something like, God's really sad when we do wrong things and walk away. Um, and he really likes it, but he's really happy when we become found again. And I'm just like, that is like the lamest ex- explanation of that story ever. It's, it's true in one sense, but it's like, no, the power in, those, in that story is that God comes looking. God comes looking. He leaves the 99 who are all chilling and happy to come looking for the one who's wandered off. And that is what he's like with his love. He comes looking for us. We don't have to search. We don't have to work hard for him. We don't need to strain or strive or prove, pretend to be something we're not. He comes looking for us. Um, so where are we? Let me come in. I went off on one then. Wasn't going to tell you about Emily's toddler Bible. But, um, thought it seemed appropriate. Um, let me land by saying this. It's these two things then. If you take nothing else away from the wrestle, it's these two things that we see revealed about the nature of God. Number one, what I've just harped on about, that God's love is not something you have to earn or work for or strive for. You don't need to be pretend to be someone you're not. Some of you have grown up in churches and you felt like you need to be a goody two-shoes your whole life in order to earn God's love. That is not the way it works with God. 1 John 3 says that God has lavished his love upon us. I love that word lavish. It's like the picture isn't of like having to prize someone's fist open to give you their love. It's of someone with open arms showering their love upon you. And I just want to ask you, in your own life, do you know this? Or have you fallen into that trap of believing it's about your effort? That's the first thing we see revealed. The second is what we've sort of touched on incidentally, but I want to sort of say it outright, and it's this. God's love confronts us where it hurts. That is something that God's love always does too. He'll confront us where it really hurts. He's really happy to be the annoying parent that comes at you with the TCP. He's like not bothered that you'll sort of scream or shout or kick at him or whatever. He's coming for you with the TCP because the truth is he's too kind to just leave you with your pain. He's too kind to leave you with your hurt. And at the end of Jacob's wrestle, this sort of, again, all those sort of pictorial language, one of the things I love is that after God touches Jacob's hip, this sort of symbol for this, this spot where it really hurts, Jacob walks off with a limp. But he also walks off having finally, for the first time, received God's blessing. And his heart's at rest. You know, and I just want to throw out the question, in your own life, where is God's love coming for you? at the moment? Where do you think he might want to confront you with his love? Where is the wrestle? Um, And my final word on this is, in my experience, you won't have to go digging for it. I think I would have done a really bad um, thing with this talk if I'd have sort of sent us all off to have to like go deep digging, like for a deep dive into the recesses of our hearts and things. My experience, when God wants to bring something to the surface, he will. It's like that quote, he will stir it up. He will push your buttons when he wants to bring it to the surface. But my encouragement to you, when you feel that happening, is be like Jacob. Give up the fight. Surrender to his love again and allow him to bring healing to your weary soul.